The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello and welcome to episode 50. I wanted to start off today by saying thank you for um, for listening because I'm really happy to say that the podcast is is growing enormously and so many of you have been contacting me and asking me questions and the more that I get to know you guys and what you're looking for um, the better the podcast becomes. So thanks a lot for listening and um, if you are looking for help with OCD and anxiety then I offer a free consultation. So do please feel free to get in touch and we can organize that. You can head to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com and you can leave me a message there. So on with the show. Today I interview Dr. Sam Greenblatt, who is a OCD specialist uh, from New York. We talk about many different things, including um, ACT and ERP, and Sam discusses in detail um, some of the problems that people face when uh, working with ERP, because ERP can be or should be a very successful treatment for OCD, but sometimes uh, it's not. And so Sam discusses why that is and, uh, you know, what kind of things you should be looking out for, uh, you know, with the therapist that you're, you're working with to make sure that you're you're getting therapy that really is going to be targeting the OCD successfully and really making a, an impact on you know on how you feel and Sam argues that you know when you work with a therapist you should be seeing you know a month on month improvement on on your obsessions and the compulsions and really you know really being able to see that you are getting better and uh, so yeah I think uh, I think Sam's a great guy we cover loads of ground we look at things like choice and acceptance it's a really uh, really interesting podcast I hope you enjoy it uh, as always if you have any questions then uh, do please let me know and if you would like to get in touch with Sam you can head over to his website Dr. Sam Greenblatt so that's uh, G-R-E-E-N-B-L-A-T-T uh, so drsamgreenblatt.com Many thanks, and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Sam. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on. So to start off with, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, please? So my name is uh, Dr. Sam Greenblood. I uh, specialize in OCD and things on the OCD spectrum, so... Uh, body dysmorphic disorder, perfectionism, uh, OCPD. Uh, yeah, I work at the Center for Cognitive Behavioral Psychotherapy, and that's based in New York, New York in the USA. Fantastic. So, um, so why did you decide to, to specialize in, in working with people with you know, OCD and OCD spectrum um, uh, disorders? Uh, I was I was actually attracted to the type of therapy that's often used for OCD first, 
Uh, I was really attracted to the thought of doing exposure and response prevention. There's, there's kind of just a different energy to it. It's, uh, you're in the room, you're seeing them kind of conquer their fears. You're seeing the progress made, um, you know, right before your eyes. I was also really interested in it because it's, it's known to be one of the most effective therapies uh, for any disorder that's, that's made. Uh, so I wanted to do something that was really effective that I was uh, sure would yield a really good return on investment on anyone that was kind of engaging in it. Mm. And as a happenstance kind of throughout my training of learning about OCD and eventually learning about different types of purely obsessional OCD, I, I realized that I had OCD myself. I have uh, some relationship OCD. So it was uh, beneficial for my own journey to uh, specialize in it as well. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. Uh, we were talking earlier, obviously about how many, how many therapists yeah. actually, you know, do have some experience with, with OCD themselves and, you know, sure. how helpful that, that can actually be in the process of, you know, of helping the client, because if you have that personal experience, you know, you can empathize a bit more and you can really understand the process of what's happening when, you know, when you do feel that urge to perform that compulsion. And so, um, so how, how, how did you uh, start using kind of um, ERP? And, and was it, you know, obviously the research is there to back up ERP. It's, uh, as you were saying, yeah. it's one of the most, uh, you know, one, one of the kind of most efficient and, uh, you know, best researched, um, you know, methods out there for, for dealing with, you know, fears and obsessions. Um, but have you have you found it in your own personal like practical experience? Have you actually found it to be to be that helpful? Or as helpful as the research indicates? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think. Well, I think when used right, if you really understand kind of the uh, mechanisms behind it, it's it's incredibly effective. Mm. I think as long as the uh, patients or client has some some degree of of insight, right, um, and some degree of commitment or or motivation, those are really the only two necessary ingredients um, on the client side, and otherwise it. it in my experience really just just works yeah yeah i think it it definitely does work but like you were just saying it's kind of if it's done correctly it can be amazingly effective no and yeah. uh, it can be very beneficial however if it's not done correctly if uh you know if the therapist you know goes in there and and maybe rushes maybe with the erp or or sets it up in the wrong way actually you know, it can actually backfire. No, there can be can be problems with it. And I know you were talking earlier about, you know, one of the things you're interested in is, you know, why uh, some OCD therapy is very very successful, but you know, other other therapy is 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 not quite so. So, could you tell us more about that kind of how how can we make ERP more effective, and what are some of the problems um, with it? Yeah, absolutely. I think there, there's there's a few somewhat tragic things about uh, OCD and the kind of uh, information out there at, at large. You know, one of which it it oftentimes takes a lot of time for people to get diagnosed, affected of you know accurately mm. with OCD. Um, 
so much of it is just not known, especially kind of pure O kind of stuff gets misdiagnosed all the time. I've seen people being misdiagnosed as, as bipolar or by schizophrenic just because they're having these intrusive thoughts. Um, but in addition to that, even when people do get diagnosed with OCD and they go to a therapist for OCD treatment, I've, I can't tell you how many patients that I've seen that had previously been to therapy for OCD that has not been effective. And I think that there's a lot of reasons why um, some of the therapy out there is not effective for, um, for, for people with OCD. Mm. And I could kind of divide it into two broad subjects. One yeah. is why treatment isn't effective for those with OCD by people who don't specialize in OCD. Mm. And another category is why sometimes even people who say that they specialize in, in OCD um, fall short in helping their clients get the uh, results that they're looking for. Mm. Yeah. So in the first category, um, I'd really kind of lump therapies that place an emphasis on the content of intrusive thoughts as something that might not even be not beneficial, but as you implied, uh, can, can sometimes even be harmful mm. um, for the patient. So, you know, going to, to talk therapy or uh, psychoanalytic, psychodynamic therapy, where you're, where you're looking at the content of the thoughts and you're trying to ascribe relevance, okay, why is it that your brain keeps telling you uh, that you're gay? Why is it that your brain keeps telling you that, uh, you know, you might kill somebody? What does this mean about mm, you? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, or even cognitive therapy, where it's trying to uh, give you tools to argue against the intrusive thoughts. Yeah. Oh, this isn't rational, yeah. right? Here's yeah. what to say to your brain to to prove why you know these thoughts aren't real they aren't accurate yeah and right? often it's the All worst these thing you up... can do yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. so it so it often ends up in a pattern where you end up ascribing relevance mm. uh to that content over and over and sometimes clients can spend years in this type of therapy because there's something that is reinforcing about it right at the end of the session the client might feel relief and might feel better uh, because they got that reassurance, right? Because the therapist told them for the millionth time, no, here's why it isn't true. And they felt that, you know, those few seconds of being convinced at that. Mm. Um, so in the short term, it might feel like therapy is working, but if they look at their lives month to month, you know, it's, it's very unlikely that they're going to improve. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, really interesting. It's really interesting because my uh, my girlfriend is a educational psychologist, and um, she uh -huh. uh, she does some work with uh, you know with um, kind of children with autism in this uh, my my local town here, like next door to Barcelona. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, like um, some of these children are going to psychodynamic, uh, you know, uh, therapists, and they're they're kind of you know yeah. seven seven or eight years old, and some of the some of the stuff that they're they're doing with these kids is just not helping them at all. It's not yeah. it's not what they need. What they need is um, 
working with you know communication systems because many of them are nonverbal and they need to they need to learn how to communicate effectively you know like learning like about psychodynamic uh, psychology is not going to help them at all and uh, right. you know it is unfortunate that that in many areas of of mental health and uh, you know or, or other areas we are you know we are pushing people not necessarily pushing people but for whatever reason people are ending up working with the wrong people yeah yes. that's i mean it's it's ridiculous that we are in that in that situation in many different areas yeah it's, it's just that there's such there's such a mismatch between the evidence that's out there of what works and the amount of people that specialize in what works mm. and the ease of access of information to the kind of uh, quote unquote consumer um, mm. of, of how to kind of figure out, you know, what it is they need. And certainly I, I don't mean at all to knock uh, the, the, the other forms of therapy that I mentioned. I think that they could all be useful for different people. Oh different yeah, times. absolutely. They, for they have with that OCD place. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I, I, I know, uh, I have clients that after our work together have decided to, to move on to uh, psychoanalytic psychodynamic because they, they'd like to look at things from a different angle. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but as a first like frontline treatment, I don't think that the success rate, the evidence based just behind it is just not that great. And yeah. And that information is not out there really. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so Yeah. So so, 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 so that's, uh, that's, that's kind of in the, uh, area of, um, those that don't specialize in, um, exposure response prevention or acceptance commitment therapy, kind of, you know, the two, uh, forms of therapy that are most empirically supported mm. for, uh, having a good effectiveness, uh, towards treating OCD. Yeah. But I've also treated many, many clients who say that they have worked with people who had who had claimed to uh, specialize in OCD and maybe did specialize in OCD uh, treatments, and still their therapy fell short. Um, and I've also noticed some patterns as to why that therapy uh, fell short as well. Um, one of those things is that a lot of times, and I don't know if you've experienced this in, in your own coaching, but a lot of times uh, clients end up focusing on the letter of the law when it comes to doing exposures or doing the treatment rather than the spirit of the law, right? So the letter of the law of an exposure would be, okay, you know, uh, you're going to uh, face your fear, right? So let's say their fear is, I'm just going to kind of use a phobic fear because it's a little easier to, to conceptualize. Uh, you're, you're afraid of dogs, so your job is to uh, sit in a room with a dog, right? Mm, yep. A lot of times, if they get that, just those instructions, and clients are following the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law, mm. what they end up doing is internally compulsing the whole time. They're in the room with the dog, and they're thinking, okay, but my therapist said that this is okay. So if my, th my therapist wouldn't put me in danger, you know, they've done this before, I have to, you know, I'm definitely going to be fine. This is definitely safe. You know, I don't have to worry. And because they're not letting themselves experience 
the distress and, and learn from that experience, mm. uh, they're not they're not really gaining anything yeah. from the exposure. Uh, yeah. It's just kind of a torturous event with yeah. no with no effect. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So and and so that's a that's a real problem so you're 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 seeing that that happen a lot with many therapists where you know they maybe they understand the theory of of uh, erp and and how it and how it works and of course they've they've studied it and they probably know it inside out but for whatever reason when it comes to actually applying it with their with their client there it's it's there's uh it's just not quite working out it's not that they're not doing it correctly you know they're not actually facing the fear they're just performing small compulsions that are keeping that fear exactly. at bay. so exactly. so how so how can therapists um you know counter this and you know as if if someone who's listening you know if they think this is kind of happening with them but you mm-hmm. know maybe they they can't change their therapist you know but maybe they could speak to their therapist about it. What, what kind of things could, uh, can the therapist do differently or, or how can, you know, how can, how can this be helped? I, th- I think it really, on the therapist side, it really comes down to, um, especially at the beginning of therapy, frequently checking in uh, with their client as to, okay, what's going on in your mind right now? Mm. Um, you know, not just, you know, what can I observe? Okay, good. You're, you're in the room with a dog, but you know, what are your thoughts? What are you, what are you thinking? How are you responding to these thoughts? And then kind of, uh, guiding and shaping that behavior. If they notice that the, that the, uh, client's cognitions are not really in line with how the therapy could be most effective. Mm. Um, so, okay. So, so I, we, we noticed that you're, uh, telling yourself, don't worry, it's safe. Why don't we instead kind of replace that with really leaning into the distress, really leaning into the uncertainty. So mm-hmm. uh, instead of saying it's safe, uh, my therapist is, you know, doing this for my own good, saying, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, Dr. Sam uh, doesn't know what he's talking about. And maybe he is putting me in danger. And maybe I am an exception to the rule here. And I am going to be his first client that, uh, you know, ends up getting bit by a dog. Um, and just go down that rabbit hole of, of, you know, the shock on Sam's face. Oh my God, this never happened before. You know, just leaning into that distress and really, yeah. really drilling home the point that uh, no matter what thought or premise pops into our mind, we can handle it. We don't have to defend against it either physically or mentally. Mm, yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. And uh, yeah, so so as uh, if someone is listening, then so you you would kind of expect the therapist to be really, you know, throughout the the process of doing the ERP to be really checking in with with their client and, and, you know, trying to find out about what's going on with their cognitions. And, you know, are they truly accepting that experience? Are they leaning into it? Are they allowing the anxiety to be there in the background? Or are they, you know, are they fighting with it somehow in in some kind of way? Yeah. 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 And and even in that, uh, you know, that that leads me to kind of another uh, area in which I feel like uh, sometimes therapy can fall short is that a lot of times clients really uh, lust after um, habituation as part of the process mm. uh, and, and really, really 
and and go in with this ex expectation. And I think this expectation is kind of set up through a lot of the literature out there. A lot of the literature out there uh, that's been out there for years is outdated, but there's really no way for for you know the average clients to know this. And mm -hmm. a lot of the training is outdated when it focuses on the model of habituation when it comes to exposure response prevention, mm. right? So the model of habituation when it comes to exposure response prevention posits that when we do exposures, uh, we expose somebody to uh, you know, their fears, over time, their fear will go down about that, right? So mm. uh, I have a fear that uh, if I leave the house, uh, without, you know, checking that the oven's not on anymore. Uh, you know, I'm going to be responsible for burning down the house. If I leave the house without checking many times, eventually that fear is going to go down. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That model has a lot of validity. There's a reason that it's kind of the first model that it was generated. Habituation does occur for many people in many situations. However, it doesn't occur for many people in many situations also. Hmm. Uh, but exposure response prevention still works. So over the course of the last, let's say, 20 years, um, researchers were trying to figure out what, what this discrepancy is. Why do some clients not habituate to stimuli, um, but they still leave therapy uh, reporting that therapy was really effective and their lives are, are, are much improved? The gap has been explained within, within the course of the last few decades through a model of inhibitory learning, right? Mm -hmm. And inhibitory learning shows us that even if you don't experience habituation when it comes to your OCD thoughts, you still learn that you can tolerate those thoughts without them affecting your life, without them you know, without them having any power over your life. Right? Yes. Yeah, so that's important. The end yeah. result is still the same. It's, yeah. it's very act kind of, right? Yeah. Um, the thoughts are still there. Maybe the distress is still there. But because your relationship with it is so healthy, it's the same end result that it has zero effect over your life and you still have that ultimate freedom that you're kind of looking for. Yeah. Yeah. But when, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. I, I love that. I think that I think that's absolutely true. And it's it's spot on. Yeah. And uh, I think I think that was, you know, the case for me when I was really struggling, yeah. you know, it was often, I didn't necessarily habituate completely, you know, there was still a lot of anxiety going on. Sure. But I was able to just kind of accept the fact that I'm somebody who experiences, you know, a lot of anxiety. Exactly for whatever exactly. reason and it's a lot to do with mindset no I think it's it's that change in mindset you know like maybe through the process of the therapy and doing the ERP you're able to change that mindset and say you know what like I'm more powerful than I realized you know I do have a lot more strength yes. than I realized and I can face these difficult emotions you know, and still live a meaningful life. And uh, I, I think you're right as well to link it to ACT because I was about to ask you a question about that anyway, but we'll, we'll come on to that in a second. Yeah, yeah 100%. And, and I think uh, when clients over-focus on habituation and they think, why am I not habituating? You know, why am I not getting better? It, it, it has two maladaptive purposes. One, um, 
you know, uh, one, it, it decreases the chances of habituation happening, right? Mm. And there's, you know, the, the paradoxical kind of uh, uh, element of, of psychology where the horror that you kind of lost after something, um, the further away it gets, you know, when we try to fall asleep, then we end up insomnic that night. Yeah. Uh, if you're trying to experience less distress, uh, there's, you're really going to reduce the chances that anything habituates. Yeah. And, and B, if you just focus on habituation as the goal or the outcome, a lot of times you will, you will be hoping that you can control a variable that is not controllable. And, and as you state in your case, um, sometimes some degree of that distress is not going to go away. And that's okay. That's not at all uh, a prognosis that uh, treatment isn't going to work for you. It's yeah. just that we need to match our skills of handling distress to the level of distress that is there, not just reduce all of the distress, just make Absolutely. those levels equal and then you're good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's spot on. And um, so obviously ERP is great. It's uh, you know, it's very powerful and it can, you know, when, when done properly, it can have a huge impact on, you know, your quality mm -hmm. of life, because like you're, like you're saying, you're able to uh, you know, you're able to get on with your life again and start living again and, you know, it makes all the, it can make all the difference. Um, yeah. But with with ACT, you know, ACT is also, you know, it's not as uh, empirically like backed up, you know, as ERP, but it does have a growing body of research to uh, to support sure. it. You know? Sure. And, um, you know, it's uh, with I mean, I, I saw an interview with uh, I listened to an interview once with Stephen Hayes, and he was talking about, um, you know, the, the difference between using ACT and ERP. And he was kind of saying that, you know, like uh, ERP is, is fantastic. But the good thing about ACT is that it also provides you with, you know, the, the kind of other skills that will make ERP a little bit easier. For example, sure. you know, yeah. like the, the motivation, like when you, if you're doing uh, an ERP and you're holding in mind as you're doing it, why you're doing this, you know, what are your values, you know, that you, you are, maybe you've not been living up to because of the OCD. Because we know like when we really struggle with something, a real mental health problem like OCD, of course, your life becomes a lot smaller, you know, and you're not able to live yeah. your life in the way that you would really really like to be doing and um you know you stop living your life by your values and um you know so by getting back in tune with those he's arguing that no that gives you the motivation to to actually really face those difficult fears because it is hard you know to do Absolutely. it and like you were talking about earlier like when you're doing the erp if when you're doing it you're kind of giving yourself that reassurance you know, constantly, just a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, it's like, yeah, you're not, it's not really going to work as well as it could do. And so having that motivation, you know, can be, can be really, really helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. I almost always use a combination of the two. I, I think, I think, uh, yeah, you, you mentioned that, that the uh, empirical kind of basis behind them is, is not as equivalent. I, my, my sense is that just because uh, ERP is, is older yeah. um, than ACT, but, but ACT's been around now since, since the 70s. And I think there's, there's such a robust uh, 
evidence base behind it for for OCD. Absolutely, I think that it it's really useful. I I will say that occasionally I've treated people with just ERP, um, but I've never treated people with just ACTS. Um, but I do find that overall, almost always a combination of the two. Yeah. Um, is, yeah. is better than anyone alone. Yeah. And I think also with, um, you know, you, you were talking about, you, you, you know, you took a particular interest in, you know, purely obsessional um, OCD and, uh, you know, you found that quite mm. fascinating. And I think with, with those types of OCD as well, ACT again is very useful because obviously it has the mindfulness component to it. Uh, yeah. And because a big problem with those types of OCD, and again, this is something I really, really struggled with is like, actually identifying you know what your compulsions are you know and we were talking about this again before before the start of the podcast where we were discussing you know the the difficulties that that people face you know sometimes with identifying you know what the yeah. compulsions are whether whether it is actually you know something that is a compulsion and you know actually we got on to this kind of discussion about whether it's better to ask a question like is this, you know, is this thought actually helping, you know, is it helping me to be the person I want to be? Or is it taking, mm -hmm. taking me away from the person that I want to be? And I think the good thing about mindfulness is it, it does enhance that ability to be able to answer to, to ask that kind of question in a, in a truly meaningful yeah. way. Because when you're really stuck in the throes of OCD, often we don't have that presence of mind to be able to see you know, the, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel or to be able to ask a question like that in a truly meaningful way and Absolutely. be able to find the answer. Absolutely. Right. 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 Uh, yeah. What, what we were kind of uh, pointing out in that, in that discussion um, was that when you're in the throes of OCD, uh, each theme is, is, does a really great job at convincing uh, its host that Okay, this is different. Now, this is not OCD. This is this is a real threat. Yeah, maybe you had OCD in the past, but look at this kernel of truth. Look at this reason why it's different, et cetera, et cetera. And to ask yourself the question of, is this really OCD? Do I treat it like it's OCD? Sometimes when you're in the thick of it, uh, it's not really going to be a helpful question because you're not going to be able to tell. But instead, asking that question of, is this is this useful? Is this helpful? Um, can be a lot easier. Um, of a way to approach, um, you know, what to, how, how to make your decision as to what to do as a response to that thought. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really important. And uh, yeah, the combination of the two things, I think using ACT and using ERP together, it's, it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's a powerful uh, one too, no? And uh, it sure. really can make a difference. And I think a big, an important message to people listening is the great, as, as you were saying at the start of this interview, the, gr the great thing with OCD and uh, part of the reason why you decided to go into this area is because, you know, the treatment, it really does when it's done correctly, yeah. it really yeah. does work, you know, it, it's, yeah. uh, and that, and that's, that's brilliant because for many you know, other um, disorders, you know, we don't actually, necessarily have such uh, such great treatment that, that really is that effective right right sometimes i think even the the treatment 
uh, or hoping that the treatment could work uh, is, is another barrier for success in terms of some clinicians. Um, there's this term that um, Dr. Phillips and coined called the backdoor spike. Mm. Um, and I think it's something like that gets in the way of a lot of successful therapy also, um, which is when people start to obsess about whether or not they're doing the therapy right. Yeah. That becomes gonna, yeah. an obsession yeah. that yeah. absolutely that 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 gets in the way of treatment success. And sometimes if a clinician doesn't catch it, can completely um, you know, halt uh, the progress of therapy because neither the clinician nor the patient is identifying this as this is just another spike to treat, right? But it happens so often um, that uh, clients of exposure response prevention will start, the OCD will start to, to turn on the uh, treatment itself, right? Mm. And it'll start to say, oh, you're not doing this exposure right. If you don't do this exposure right, you're never going to get better. How many exposures should I do a day? How long should they be? What should I be feeling when I'm doing the exposures? Oh my God, after the exposure, I only felt X or Y. Uh, maybe that means it's not going to work. Uh, what did my clinician say? And obsessing about the therapy itself uh, can form a huge barrier uh, towards it. Uh, I think that's, that's a, a really common reason that OCD therapy fails um, even amongst OCD uh, experts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now you're spot on. I mean, I've noticed it uh, myself in in working with some of my clients, and I'm. It's yeah. definitely something that needs to be addressed if uh, if it's going to be Absolutely. at all successful. Yeah. Um, right. I think at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I was going to say. I think at that. Oh, go, go, on, for, go for it. Go for it. That's right. I'll I'll, I'll edit. All right, this, all right. I'll just I'll, I'll just I'll, throw I'll it out edit there this bit out, and we'll uh, we'll <laughs> like. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just throw in that I think at that point, therapy just needs to be uh, any, any progression on the pre-existing hierarchy just needs to be stopped. And uh, the clinician just needs to address that first of doing exposures of, yes, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't know, you know, you don't really understand the therapy. Maybe you're never going to get better. Uh, maybe I'm not a good clinician. Maybe you're not a good patient. And just doing exposures to, so they can tolerate the uncertainty around that um could just kind of uh get those gears moving again and then you know therapy's yeah. all good yeah absolutely um something something else that i wanted to ask you about because this is uh you know this is a really big thing obviously um the word acceptance is like thrown around a lot uh you know by by people working with people with ocd and it's because it is such an important word, you know, and it's, sure. it's, it's absolutely essential. I mean, I mean, before I came across the word acceptance, you know, I was always fighting with anxiety. I was, you know, I was never, you know, trying to allow it to be. And, you know, when I did come across the word acceptance, I was actually very frustrated by the word because it kind yeah. of, yeah. you know, it, it was very irritating to be told that accept these thoughts because they're obviously so yeah. difficult to to accept um you know particularly you know particularly things that are based around harm and uh, and these kinds of uh, themes you know so how would you um how would you advise someone to to go about you know thinking about acceptance and starting to try to to build it around their their obsessions 
I think that's a great question. And I think a lot of people uh, experience um, that initial almost despair of, oh, like the only answer is to accept this. This is, this is awful. What they might miss is that acceptance is a mechanism to change in this, in this sense. Yeah. Um, I'm stealing this from, from Buddhist philosophy, which a lot of modern CBT does, ACT included. Um, but we could, we could take the umbrella of distress that someone experiences in their life and divide it into two different categories, right? There's pain, which is the inevitable distress that someone experiences. Pain is losing a loved one, is you know getting injured, losing your job, or even kind of the um, initial emotional pang of dread uh, that comes with OCD, right? Yeah. And then there's suffering. And suffering is our maladaptive relationship to pain. So suffering is um, worrying about the future, ruminating about the past, spending all of this time and energy um, trying to get rid of the pain in our life. And as it turns out, pain is probably 5% of our overall distress that we experience. And suffering is 95%. So with the acceptance, if we learn skillfully how to accept the 5%, then we get to melt away the 95%. Mm. Our, our overall distress does decrease a huge amount by learning how to reduce the suffering um, as kind of moderated through learning acceptance. So it's not just accept your life and and none of the distress that you experience in your life is going to change at all. It's accept the pain, accept the maybe 10 minutes total per day um, added up of the, the initial intrusive thoughts, um, the initial pang. But if you don't add on to that, the duration of your spikes and of the amount that you're suffering over the course of the day it is going to just decrease dramatically. It's, it's a life-changing thing that we can yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's a really good point that you've made there. And, um, you know, Dr. Dr. Philipson talks a lot about, you know, about the things that, you know, that we, we can control and the things that we can't know. And, and, and this mm -hmm. idea of choice, um, you know, because obviously, choices is a big thing again when it comes to OCD and you know there's you know there's there's we can't control for example our our thoughts and you know the the, mm -hmm. the urges the images that come into our minds you know he talks about the gatekeeper now and uh you know we we can't control these things that come up into our to our mind this is the mechanical mind uh, but we do have this kind of gatekeeping ability you know where we effectively how you know we can choose kind of what we put our attention onto and you know often I think part of the problem with OCD is it leaves you with this sense of powerlessness you know that you are a victim of OCD that OCD is the boss it's a bully and uh, you know you have to you have to follow through with the compulsions because you don't have a choice and I think a Another big part of the puzzle is, is realizing that you do have a choice in that situation, even when you're choosing to perform a compulsion, you know, it is a choice yeah. ultimately, you know, it's, you have chosen to do it. 
And I think reminding yourself of that, Nate, even when you do choose like the kind of unhelpful option, the one that's taking you away from the person you want to be, you know, you did choose that, you know, and you can choose something else. And knowing that is empowering, no? Absolutely. I think that's where the kind of the the act language of separation really comes into play and is really useful, right? A lot of uh, a lot of people come in with the language of, um, oh, I, I couldn't help it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm so worried about X or Y. And to change that language to, you know, I'm, you know, I'm so worried uh, about, you know, whether or not I might be a pedophile um, to, I'm noticing my brain produces a lot of thoughts about, mm. you know, about pedophilia. Right, having that distance, um, mm. I think, could be such a uh, is such a useful element there of yeah. really recognizing the choice that you have. Because in the first language set of "I'm really worried," okay, so so you can't do anything. You're you're really worried. Okay, this is the state that you're in. That that sucks. But if you're describing the same situation as "I'm noticing my brain produce a lot of um, you know an- anxious thoughts about." Uh, pedophilia now you have agency now you have autonomy now you have a choice that you can make okay so you're noticing that what do you want to do with that yeah 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 absolutely absolutely yeah it's uh you know it's classic classic kind of diffusion skills no like actually creating a little bit of space between you and your thoughts and having that awareness that you know they are Mm -hmm. just thoughts at the end of the day they they don't mean anything about you um they if you you know if you don't pay them too much attention you know at some point when they're ready they will pass on by um you know but by by fighting with them and trying to push them away all we're actually doing is bringing them closer and and you know making ourselves feel sick in the process absolutely and and with that i think that you know a lot of a lot of therapy oftentimes ends up treating the symptom and not the problem. Uh, It it treats kind of the way in which the OCD is maybe manifesting in the present moment, Mm -hmm. rather than kind of teaching the client the core mechanics that could be useful for dealing with intrusive thoughts in general, Mm -hmm. right? So, and and that's another reason why a lot of people, even if they experience success in in therapy, sometimes end up back in in the couch, because they learned, okay, this is how I deal with, um, you know, that spike theme. This is how I deal with, uh, you know, my contamination OCD. But then eventually it morphs into relationship OCD. Yeah. And they're like, okay, they, and they see it as a whole new thing. Oh, this yeah. is totally different. How do I deal with this different yeah. thing? Yeah. Rather than really learning the skills of, this is the same thing. It's the same kind of OCD. It's just knocked on your door again and it's put on a novelty mustache and it's trying to sell you the same thing in a in a cheap disguise, <laughs> right? And yeah, really yeah, yeah, understanding, yeah. Yeah. you know, how it's similar rather than how it's different so that you could be your own therapist over the course of the rest of your life rather than just in and out and in and out. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a trickster. It's, a, yeah. it, it, and it's, a, you know, it's a shapeshifter for sure. And yeah. so, yeah, having that ability to, to spot it and deal with the underlying anxiety you know, um, learning to to how to accept that anxiety and be comfortable with that in different situations is, you know, ultimately mm-hmm. that's the thing that's going to help you, you know, to feel a lot better in, in the long run. Um, 
Okay, if you had kind of, um, you know, one, one tip for people who are really struggling, you know, with OCD, anxiety, um, what, what would it be? Uh, either <laughs> research more or research less, depending on which spectrum you're in. Uh, some, I think some people end up, uh, you know, for actually, you know what? If they're listening to this podcast, then they, they probably are already um, kind of steeped in online literature, right? Um, unless this is their first, if this is the first thing that they've listened to, I absolutely recommend, you know, read, uh, you know, Steve's choice article, read, um, you know, Russ Harris's The, the Happiness Trap, um, you know, get, get educated and, and, and seek a um, seek an expert in OCD, right? Um, even if you are, you know, we, we were talking earlier about how it's, you know, the tragedy of, of a lot of countries out there not having um, uh, great clinicians out there, but then so, so, so seek telehealth, you know, our center does it, uh, contact, uh, you know, me, I, I don't know if you do, uh, you know, international or, or basically yeah, like online. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yep. Absolutely. So, so there are there are clinicians out there um, that might not be in your country um, that do specialize um, in what you're dealing with, and what you're dealing with is absolutely treatable. Um, if you think that you're past the return on investment in terms of being online, if you're on one of those Facebook groups where everyone just posts for reassurance and things like that. Um, and you're just kind of talking to other people that are suffering with OCD and trying to figure it out, I would say, get out of those communities. They're likely not giving you a good return on investment and instead kind of, uh, you know, invest your resources in something that is gonna give you change. I think any good intervention, if you have OCD and you're really motivated, you absolutely should be able to expect that every month is observably better than the one before it. Not, I think I'm doing better. It should be pretty clear. And if you're not uh, experiencing that, I think uh, it could be very important to question uh, whether or not you're getting a good bang for your buck on that yeah. investment. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point uh, to finish off with. Uh, you know, really important yeah. that, you know, people people should be, you know, seeing that, that return, though, and actually, you know, measuring kind yeah. of, you know, and it's important as well to kind of write things down, you know, like record, record what's going on in an ob objective way, you know, when you start therapy and, you know, see if things are actually sure. improving, I think can be quite a helpful way to, to do that. Um, yeah. Dr. Sam, thank you so much for your time. It's been, uh, it's been great talking to you. My absolute pleasure. Great talking to you too. Thanks for the opportunity. That's great. Please remember, if you are struggling with OCD and anxiety, you can get a free consultation uh, with me. All you need to do to get that is to head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com and uh, send me a message and we, we can sort that out. And if you like, you can also follow me on Instagram uh, at robertjamescoachinguk. Many thanks. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only. 
and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist or any other medical or mental health professional.